City image is the best. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the City Image mm. Podcast. As always, it's your boy, Young Flatbush, in the building. Mm-hmm. What up, y'all? I know it's been a little while, but mm. we're back. All right, yeah. City Image is still, still the best. It's still, still the best, y'all. Undisputed champion of the world. The world, maybe the universe. <laughs> um, maybe the universe. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And of course, across from me, the lovely, sexy, <laughs> hey. always debonair. Hey. You know, <laughs> immaculate. Danny, I try. The try creator. <laughs> oh, what's going on, been, guys? You good? with that voice, doing all right. You know, mm. <laughs> give, give it to him. I don't Danny. know what's sexier, you know? the voice or the looks. Uh, I gotta. It's. Equally, equally, you know, equally. man, I appreciate you guys. Good Work. to see just you. Be man. humble, you know. Be humble. Sit down. Just, just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just as the Lord made me, so just, hey. of course, give my my props to the Lord. Mm. <laughs> and to my left, mm. the man, the myth, the my, legend, my my my, Brian, the theological giant. Wow. In the building, yo. How you been, man? I'm so good, man. Blessing, highly look favored, good, man. You look like you have like a halo, like mm. just, you're glowing halo. right now. Mm. I lost 40 pounds. Reached that mark. That's what that was. It's a big mark. It's a, halo. it's a big mark. Yeah. Mm. It's a big thing. Can we just can we have a moment. That's huge. It's a moment. It's a big it's a moment. It's a big Word. You pushing forward. Word. That's a small thing. Get it? Oh. Hey. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Word. Mm. Um, but yo. Nah, the man of the hour. Yeah, we can't be laughing as well. <laughs> okay. Oh. Edit that. Edit that. Edit all that. <laughs> nah, just staying in there. No. <laughs> Brian, you're going to have to learn. Okay. Stop laughing so loud. All right. I'm sorry. Cool. You can edit the joke out too. <laughs> Because it fell flat. No, but the ones that fall flat are the best. Yeah, it's true. Okay. You know? But yo, it's a historic moment mm. for City Image. Why is that? History in the making. Mm. I don't know how we did it, mm. but we got our first <laughs> guest, y'all. You know, our real guest at that. Did us a favor. <laughs> My man, Rasul Barry, oh. aka. The messenger. The messenger. The messenger. In the building. Oh. In the building. What up? <laughs> Rasul, how you feeling, man? Man, I'm great, man. It's a beautiful day. Uh, yeah, ready to chop it up with y'all. Cool, cool. That's what's up. Well, listen, if y'all don't know Rasul, you're about to get to know him. Mm. All right, Ra- I have the pleasure mm. of being able to pastor alongside Rasul at the Bridge Church. Mm. Um, Rasul is our leadership development pastor, so he's getting everybody to level up at the church. Um, he's over here in Brooklyn, you know what I'm saying? Representing hard. And he's a speaker who loves to teach spiritual truths. Uh, he's a cultural observer. And if you ever heard this guy speak, man, oh man, dripping with passion. Mm. So intelligent and articulate and just the way that he's able to paint pictures with his words, man. It is very impactful. Man, if you want to hear some more from Rasul, definitely hit up BridgeChurchNYC.com. Hit up that podcast. Uh, hear some of his sermons. It's just delight to listen to, man. And he graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, representing for the Ivies. Go Quakers. <laughs> Bachelor of Arts in Africana Love Studies. Jokes. Minor in Sociology. Wife, daughter, the full package mm. here. I don't know how we did it, yo. I don't know what kind of we underhand won. transactions we, we did <laughs> to land someone. Some Bitcoin transfers. <laughs> Mad Bitcoins. <son. laughs> Mad Bitcoins. He serves with crew. He loves sports. He loves food. And I love when he makes the food. Yes, it's if so you've good. never eaten a it's meal so 
cooked by Rasul Berry. Listen, my wife and I were trying to plan out our summer activities, and she was like, yo, can one of them just be eat Rasul's food? <laughs> can we put that down? Does that count as like an activity? Absolutely. So, man... I just want to give you a warm welcome, bro. Mm. Thanks for coming. Thanks mm. for taking your time to just bless us. We know you could have been a thousand places, but yes. man, we really appreciate Thank that you came. Be here, uh, being in the studio. The studio. No <laughs> with no the city. In the underground jail. bunker. <laughs> in the manor. <laughs> cool, man. But before we get into our main topic today, we always want to hit it off with something light. And this one uh, is a little tight, actually. Mm. Um, we're talking about those rompers, y'all. Yeah. Mm. What do you guys think? About these male rompers or romp hymns. You know. I would love to hear what you guys have to say about these these things. <laughs> That's the sound I imagine when people take them off. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Freedom. That's unbelievable. You know how like we see like TV shows and stuff in the seventies, and we're like, "Yo, why did they do that? Like, what happened? You know, platform shoes, bell bottom jeans. Like, you, you know, there's just certain things that you just see that era, and you go, okay, polka dots with right. leopard print, and like, this is one of those moments. Mm. We're living in one of those moments right now. This is it. It's like, this is a bad idea, Word. and I'm not co-signing. Word. Right? Not now. Not ever." Man, yeah, this so is my take. My daughter is going to look back on this moment and be like, yo, tell me about these rompers. I'm like, look, <laughs> listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just like, you know, I'm a big boy, so I already knew from the Man. very beginning. that It's that, not our lane, bro. It's not our lane. Yeah. It's not our lane. <laughs> so, we don't even have to consider it. <laughs> yeah, this is never even an option for me. Right. If That's your size has an X in it, <laughs> rompers ain't for you, dog. Facts, <laughs> man. So, I don't know, we'll, we'll leave that to... You know the the more skinnier persuasion. The the our buffer brothers. Our, buff, our buffer brother, buffer brothers. You know yeah. um, the the gym rats. We'll, we'll let them figure out whether or not they yeah. they want to rock those. I just think that all the memes that have come out because of this, I'm thankful <laughs> that the internet has just uh, really just God blessed us the internet. with some 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 comedic. Oh, they're killer, bro. They're so, they're so crazy, man. The, the internet is never satisfied with life. It has man. no chill. That's right. The, the, the internet is just like, we don't ever want to live a boring life. We just have to find something. And it's usually very successful. Mm. Like these trends that they come up with. Yeah. And I'm always sitting here having a good old time, man, looking at these memes. Yeah. <laughs> but, man, I feel like the internet was made for this moment. Like, <laughs> male rompers? Like... <laughs> I remember putting a romper on my infant daughter. Like, this is not, I, I just don't, <laughs> I just, I never thought I would wear what I'm putting on her on my own body. That's like what I wear. Like, like that's yeah. like almost like a onesie pajama. You know? Yeah. I don't know if I would do that either. Yeah. Yeah. With I mean, the feet, with the little footies. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the onesies, you mean? Where? I, I don't know if I could see myself. Yeah. That. But you well, know, I stay in my lane, man, because I have zero fashion sense. Mm. So, I'm always like, I don't know, maybe this is hot. I can't. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I would never do it. <laughs> but, I mean, who's to say, man? 21st century, yeah. let let people, you know, freedom. So you're with it. You're with the theological giant says oh, yes to man. rompers. You know, when I get my six pack, you might see me. You might do the romper. I might. I might. Yeah. <laughs> I maybe might that's your goal. This. Maybe you're hanging up a picture of a romper <laughs> as inspiration. Maybe that's how you lost the 40 pounds. Yo, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying. If y'all ever 
see me <laughs> with a romper. I'm giving you permission right now. Don't this even ask it. no questions. Church just discipline. come up and just, that's it. Discipline. Punch in the face. <laughs> Done. Like, out. Like, Close fist. Close fist. Ross is going to want to put people on church discipline. <laughs> <Where? Yeah. laughs> we might have to do that. This is against our membership contract. This is against. Yeah. It's, it's getting added to the doctrinal statement. This go. is it. Yeah, I mean, right you now. Know, the, 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 way, the way they fit, like, them, them dudes and, and they be hugging all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean. It is hugging. Yeah. I think the ladies want you just up with a wear one. They do. They do. There's like a Kickstarter to get them to wear one. So, I mean, if they want you just up to wear it. <laughs> it you, must be you good. Be- <laughs> <laughs> it must be. They want to be James Bond. They want him to wear a romper. I get it, man. They, they want him to play James Bond while wearing a romper. <laughs> Listen, bro, I get it. You're single. I get it. I don't have to think about that. My girl appreciates me sans romper. That's so, it's good. You know, it's I don't need man. to be on the new wave of what women want. So, yeah. ladies out there, if you're into the romper thing, Brian is your man. All right. No. <laughs> Give him a couple weeks. The real question is if your wife wanted you to wear a romper, would, would I you? wear it? Mm, mm, that's that, a good question. That's a good question. Though. That's I a good question. Hear y'all tackle that. <laughs> Man, well, yo, if we can get her on the show, to <laughs> we can get her on there. We ask her. Let's get her to call in. Where we'll, we'll see if she'll pick up. But man, um, cool guys. So after the break, we are going to leave the world of rompers and enter back into the world of Black Hebrew Israelites. We got Rasul here, who's going to be breaking it down for us. So please stay tuned. City image is the best. Welcome back. All right, y'all. So last week we chopped up Damn Kendrick Lamar's album, and we did get into a, a great discussion just about Hebrew Israelite doctrine just from that conversation. And as we promised, this week we are going to take a deep dive into who they are and what they believe. Um, it's just been a real something that's real hot, and I know a lot of people are just like, man, I just I need some more knowledge on what this is. So. Rasul, my brother, can you chop it up for the city image audience, man? Just, man, black Hebrew Israelites, what what are they? Like, what do they believe? Just yeah, somebody yeah. who's never heard of them before. Yep. Well, the first thing is they would never refer to themselves as black Hebrew Israelites. Mm. They would either use the term Hebrew Israelites or simply Israelites. Okay. So, um... So yeah, that's the first thing. We can get into a little bit uh, a little bit later why that distinction is important, um, but just to know. So mm-hmm. we're talking about Hebrew Israelites um, is, is the main thing. So in terms of uh, who are they, what they believe, um, the core uh, passage in the Bible, um, which they do uphold as um, God's word, along with some other you know, apocryphal uh, works as well is Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I'll just for the sake of time, start at verse 58. And um, 
Now, this the context of this passage, this is taking place toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses and the people of Israel are on the plains of Moab about to go into the promised land and the um, covenant between God and the people of Israel is being, you know, re, you know, revisited, reminded kind of as they go in. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, this is kind of a, you know, blessings and curses. This is the terms of the the covenant that is being established. Verse 58 starts with, if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness grievous and lasting, and he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. I must just scroll down to verse 68, uh, the last um verse there and it says and the lord will bring you back in ships to egypt a journey that i promise that you should never make again and there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves but there will be no buyer so uh, this is, again, Deuteronomy 28. Now, what does that have to do with Hebrew Israelites? This is the core uh, passage that uh, they build um, their teaching on, which is the idea. So Hebrew Israelites believe and teach that the true people of Israel are what we refer to as black people, African-American, uh, Afro-Caribbean, you know, like those like people who were victims of the transatlantic slave trade, um, that this they are the fulfillment of this prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, some would extend that to Native Americans, um, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, uh, you know, others who um, were products of that uh, or victims of that uh, transatlantic slave trade, but that essentially this passage they find its fulfillment in um, in what happened in the New World with uh, slavery and um, currently even up until the, the, all of the racial uh, discrimination and uh, marginalization that people of color have experienced at the hands of quote unquote white people. So that is the basic core teaching. There is from there a wide range of offshoots in terms of how um, the New Testament is looked at, how Yeshua or Jesus um, in the Greek um, version of his name is looked upon. Um, so there's various camps that will ascribe to different levels of either acknowledging uh, Yeshua or not or denying him that that will look at other people like Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, um, Native Americans or not. So but that's but this right here, Deuteronomy 28, which is why it appears in Kendrick's album and, you know, um, and why that is quoted by his cousin is the core doctrine. Gotcha, gotcha, man. Thanks for chopping that up, man. And as I'm listening to what you're saying, I could only imagine that some of our listeners are just like, man, like that. This kind of sounds like, you know, close to like a nation of Islam. Like, is it is that is it tied into it at all? You know, are they similar? Well, you know, that's a good question. And it really comes back to uh, when you look at it historically, 
we have to understand it in the context, uh, Hebrew Israelites, the nation of Islam, in the context of, you know, the African-American experience and people of, uh, of color's experience in uh, the new world. So obviously there was a slave trade. There was um, this aspect of white supremacy, of um, Eurocentrism that, uh, that not only just subjugated, that slavery had existed for thousands of years, right? But the thing that was unique and especially destructive was there. this was a racial caste system that was developed along with its scientific explanations for, you know, black people being inferior to white people, along with its theological justifications where people were looking at the quote unquote curse of ham, you know, um, you know, applications or misapplications, I should say, of slaves obey your masters. All of these components are part of the narrative that you have to understand to get to why um, why this thing exists. And so uh, fast forward. So from the very beginning, black people, is you know, identified themselves with the people of Israel, right? It's not a big leap to be like, we enslaved, they were enslaved. You know, they were enslaved by Egypt, we were enslaved by the most powerful nation in our time. And uh, and we believe in a God that's going to free us just like he freed them. So early on, even with uh, Harriet Tubman, what was her nickname? Grandma Moses, right? You know what I mean? They would sing the songs, you know, um, you know, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and all of these depictions, you know, of 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 the people crossing the Jordan River. And so there was from the very beginning um, of, of our time in bondage and identification that people had with the Israel, the story of Israel. Well, some people as late as I mean, as early as the late 1800s took that to the next level and said, we're not only are we like them, we are them. This story is about us. And um, so 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 one, when you have but the key aspect you have to understand is a sense of identity. So to 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 simplify it, the key historical moment is Marcus Garvey in um, the early 1900s. He is the father of Pan-Africanism. He's the first person that actually identifies a certain place in Africa and says, we are Ethiopians. Now, the interesting thing about Garvey is he's a Christian. Mm -hmm. So Ethiopia is identified because it's a Christian nation, oldest Christian nation in the world. And he says, this is the origin of black people, all of us, because Garvey's Jamaican, you know, but he's in New York City and he's promoting the UNIA and all of, he's like, we all have to come together. And he's actually, with this vision of Pan-Africanism, encouraging people to come back to Africa. Well, he gets deported. Um, people are afraid of that message. And when he gets deported, actually all of his lieutenants began to, this is where the spinoffs happened. So Noble Drew Ali, for example, he was a Garveyite and he takes that idea and say, well, I'm a, I want the idea of us having a vision of being in a certain location, but I don't want it to be Ethiopia. He points it back to Mecca and says, actually, the we're Moors. And Moors were this noble, you know, uh, group of people that were able to confront and um, defeat the Europeans at different points in history from a Muslim standpoint. So he says we're Moors. So he starts the Moorish Science Temple in New York City right here. So then he, you know, he says, look, Islam is the real religion of the black man. And that's we're Moors. We're not black. We're not Negroes. 
Well, he has a couple followers. One of them is Wallace Fard, who becomes Wallace Fard Muhammad. The other one is Elijah Poole. And uh, Fard, you know, he takes that idea and says, yeah, yeah, like we Islam is the natural religion of the black man. But, you know, but let's take this thing to a deeper degree. I'm actually God himself. And Elijah over here is now Elijah Muhammad. He's my messenger. And so they take that to the next level. And then from there, but again, the name, we're from the tribe of Shabazz. So we're not black. We're from the tribe of Shabazz. Mm-hmm. So that's, they change it from Mecca to, well, Moors to tribe of Shabazz. From there, then you have Clarence 13X, who was in the Nation of Islam, right, you know, here in New York. But he does, we need to take it further. Not only do we, you know, as a black man, this is a true religion, but the black man is God. Mm-hmm. And so he takes it a step further. So all of these, though, you see the trend, mm-hmm. all of them, um, come back to this aspect of what do we call ourselves what is our true identity and so in that sense there is a very strong connection in terms of what the problem that they're trying to solve what the need is that they're trying to address Hmm. of a nation of islam and a hebrew israelite Hmm. man and you would define that need as wanting to find significance for yes yeah, for a sense of identity that sense was stripped identity. away from you. I mean, we yeah. got to remember, what what do you do? What does a, a group of people do who, you know, I've been doing Ancestry.com, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, I know no matter how far I go back, I'm not, I can't, I can only go back to as far as the new world because there weren't, I don't have family records that trace back. I don't know mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. where my great, 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 great grandparents came from. Yeah. So that search for identity is huge. I'm sorry, I forgot the key component. Another one of Garvey's followers was named Arnold Josiah Ford. Arnold Josiah Ford, once Garvey's deported, he takes it into a different direction. He doesn't go with Drew Ali, who says we're Moors. He says we are actually Israelites. He starts the commandment keepers in New York, in Harlem. And that is the start of the this identity of black Jews at that time or, or blacks who identified themselves as the true tribe of Israel. So that wow. starts with Arnold Josiah Ford, who was a Garveyite. And then eventually in the 60s, that turns into what we now know of as Hebrew Israelites. Mm. Mm, that's, that's a major key right there. That's, that's the good. Thanks for the history there, Russell. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, man. But. You know, you kind of touched on a little bit. Let's dig a little deeper, man. Like we are talking about this topic because it came up in Kendrick's album. And so like what is the allure there for people today? Right. Like why is this still attractive? Yeah. Well, you know, there's three things. And we see this even in uh, the book of Daniel um, where, you know, with people who are held captive right so daniel was one of the group of people that the babylonians come in and they uh invade jerusalem they take captive all the people and they bring them into exile into the land of babylon and what when you it's very interesting to see what happens in that moment one of the things they do is they change their name Right. And uh, so yeah. Daniel, Azariah, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, they's like, no, you're Belteshazzar. No, you're, you know, Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, Meshach and Abednego. Yeah. Those were not their names. Yeah. They're Hebrew names. These are Babylonian names that they were giving them. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're stripping their identity and saying, we're giving you a new identity. Mm-hmm. We're giving you a new job. We're, we're going to tell you what you're going to do. We're going to we're going to give you this job in our courts. That's going to be your significance. Mm-hmm. And your worth is going to be what I 
I tell you. So um, uh, Dr. Carl Ellis, who is an incredible mind, uh, he wrote the book Free at Last. I encourage everybody to check it out. He is um, probably, to me, the foremost uh, expert in understanding the cultural and theological and the historical dynamics of you know, you know, of what us as people of color and trying to find identity. And he and his wife, Karen, uh, they identify three core things that any subdominant or marginalized people look for, especially here with us um, African descent. The first is identity, the answer in the question, who am I? So that goes back to the name thing. The mm. second one is worth, right? You know, um, or dignity. What am I worth? Mm. That's the question of dignity. What mm. dignity do I have? Mm. And so if you notice that a lot of these groups, they'll put on different clothes. Yeah. They kind of posture themselves in a way that says mm. I'm, I have nobility yeah. because my nobility has been stripped away from me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, that, so th that aspect of dignity. And the third is significance. You know what I mean? What am I put on earth to do? And part of that question is why did this terrible thing happen? Mm. Why did this happen? And so the Hebrew Israelites speak to that and go, I'm going to tell you why this happened. These were a result of curses, divine curses that if we can respond to, we can actually turn into blessings and, and be okay. And not just that, but we can actually become the head and not the tail as this passage kind of warns about. And now we can put well, who they would say Esau or Edomites, what they refer to as white people, under our foot and mm -hmm. actually be put them in their rightful place as our slaves and turn mm -hmm. the tides. So why is that significant? Why is that important? Well, when I am someone who is looking for a sense of meaning and purpose. And when I, 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 I have had history distorted to me and even the scriptures, the Bible distorted to me, then it's not too big of a leap to go, well, you know what? They didn't even tell you who you really were. This mm -hmm. is who you really are. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a main thing. But also I think it's a, a reflection of the misses that we as a church um, have done poorly in speaking to the issue of our cultural identity and our social identity yeah. um, as well. So good, man. Even as you were just describing those three things, man, I, I felt the just the hole that, you know, just as a, a young black person, black male um, growing up, I've struggled looking for those three things um, for the majority of my like adolescent life. You know, I was really mm -hmm. just feeling that missing piece of who I was, my significance, who I was here for, man, you know, and outside of, <clears throat> well, in my journey of just finding Christ and and finding my significance there, man, outside of that, I was lost completely, man. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can definitely see the allure, um, based on those factors, man. That, that was just incredible. But man, as I was listening to you speak, man, it was just, I can just hear that you're speaking from a real place, man. Like mm -hmm. this is not a, a research paper. You know, I can tell that it's coming from a real spot in your heart, man. So like, is there anything just personally about this topic that kind of resonated with you? Like, I know you have a lot of knowledge on it, but you know, what even prompted you to even look into this in the first place? Yeah, it does really um, strike a personal chord with me um, because it affected my family. Um, so my uh, stepsister and stepbrother were both raised um, in a Hebrew Israelite um, teaching. And um, before their father married my mom, uh, he was married to a woman that was raised 
um, as a Hebrew Israelite. Mm. And um, I was just talking to my sister a few weeks ago, you know, around the time that the Kendrick Lamar album, um, you know, got released. And she was like, yo, I'm a, I was, I'm a huge Kendrick Lamar fan. And when I heard this, like my heart just sank and I just was broken because I was like, dude, you don't know what you're getting into because mm. I, I, you know, because this was my life. And she talked about how she couldn't have friends uh, go over to friends' houses and who didn't, you know, uh, do, you know, the Sabbath and she couldn't play with them, couldn't go to parties and, um, and ended up in this real sense of depression. She talked about how um, her mom forbade them from reading the New Testament. Like, so they would have a Bible and had Old and New in it, but it was like she was threatened not to read the New Testament. Um, and eventually had to run away mm. from home in order to to just to leave and had a lot of counseling and therapy that she needed to just become whole because of the sense of control and you know she talked about how you know um just every aspect of life just was trying to be like kind of controlled you know by keeping the law um and then my uh her brother her biological brother same mom same dad um he was raised in it for a while uh he he's older than her and so found it harder, like he, he kind of always kept his ties. Well, recently within the last two years, he got really back into it. It, mm. it ended up ruining his marriage. He got a divorce. Wow. Um, and now his, he has a son and a daughter. He's raising his son as a Hebrew Israelite. And there, you know, he yelled at his daughter for, you know, cooking on, on Saturday morning and making wow. breakfast for him because it was the Sabbath. And and so these are the sort of, so my sister was just like, yo, let people know. This isn't just like some cool thing to each his mm -hmm. own. Like they're, they're real repercussions. And when she, she told me that story, I was, you know, it just kind of reminded me that, um, and again, and I want to emphasize that's not everybody's experience. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, there are a lot of different camps camps are similar to what we would call denominations mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and so there are various extents to which um you know some of this will be true of someone's experience but then there's some that they'll listen to that and go nah that's not me mm -hmm. at all but um but if you do some digging and you'll see yeah. a lot of people tell a story I, I just was listening on youtube and there was a woman that was talking about this is a 50 year old woman had been married for 25 years mm. her husband started watching youtube videos and started you know becoming more and more strange from and because she wouldn't uh like she would even cook how he wanted to and when he started to you know change his diet to conform with the dietary laws and and all that stuff she didn't have any problem but then it just like his behavior escalated to the point where he actually was like yo i'm having a couple brothers come up from atlanta to move in i need you to move out and kicked his wife wow. of 25 years out of the house and she My told God. the story and it was just gripping and so i think here's the bottom line whenever human beings try to control what it means for someone to experience salvation or not when they whenever they try to say okay if you do this and you do that mm -hmm. then it always leads to control yeah. It always leads to a sense of control, always. So, yeah. so that's that's part of the story. But like I said, I don't want to paint too broad a brush because that's not everybody's experience to the same extent. But that's the personal thing that I saw with it that made me want to dig deeper and understand kind of where are the gaps, where are the things, where's the interest, and how do we even respond? Because I got a brother that you know, I mean, like I'm looking and I'm like, he's estranged from his wife, he's estranged from his daughter, um, and uh, and and just and I, I want to see my family kind of come back together, and so mm -hmm. you know, I want to I wanted to learn as much as I could so I could uh, kind of maybe even help with that process. Mm -hmm. Man. Rasul, man, thank you so much for sharing that, man. Like I, 
that really touched me just to hear those stories, man. Just like, it's just crazy to know that that's happening. Even right now, you know, that, you know, there are just so many families affected by something that's not true. And uh, that's really what we want to, you know, kind of turn the conversation to right now. Like, man, what is unbiblical about this? What is untrue about this doctrine? Yeah. Well, um, again, I, I do want to start by, you know, first, I think it's so important to look at what is appealing again, because um, another thing that, you know, that Carl Ellis talks about in terms of the identity, dignity and significance is the three needs that we have personal which the church does check on in terms of our personal needs for salvation. A lot of times we talk about guilt, loneliness, anxiety. Um, but the other two we don't speak about as much, the social needs, right? Yeah. Um, the aspect of how does the gospel relate to our family, our you know, sense of health and education. Yeah. Um, and uh, these are things that uh, are needs that are kind of gaps. And so uh, oftentimes, you know, like, for example, when my... Um, stepbrother when him and, and you know his wife broke up them dudes brought him into their house and was like you can stay with us for as long as you need him and his son wow. and so there was a social dynamic that oftentimes yeah. people are desiring and are lacking right so that's another thing and then the cultural how is god at work in the history of of our people how do we explain the um the difficulties and the hardships and the atrocities that we've experienced as a people. And those things are areas that we as like we don't really see unpacked a lot in the church. And so there's a gap. So I wanted to start where yeah. where, where, where we're missing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now to kind of flip into, okay, well, where do they get it wrong? And you know, where where are the where are the misses um from a theological and doctrinal standpoint? Um well I think the first thing is basic hermeneutic principle is you understand the old testament in light of the new testament mm. like the the new testament jesus said i did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law right he you know it, we see in the upper room you know at the last supper he says this cup represents the new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me um i love in luke chapter 24 um, on the road to Emmaus, like um, these two guys, these two disciples are like talking to Jesus. They don't know it's him. And and they're complaining and they're, they're mourning about the events of the crucifixion. They don't know he's resurrected. And so he starts to, it says, unpack and unfold to them from the law and the prophets, how everything in them said that these things will have to happen to him. And it says, did our hearts not burn within us? Mm -hmm. And so the key thing there is it's, it says that Jesus and what he did for 40 days after he resurrected is he spent time explaining to the disciples mm. how everything from Genesis all the way to Malachi was a, a preview and a prediction and a prophecy of his fulfillment and his coming and his death and his burial and his resurrection and so what you see from matthew matthew quotes the new the old testament more than just about any other book in the bible um and you see he's writing and he's talking about this revelation and this fulfillment um when the church age starts in acts chapter 2 you see um what peter explains this happened to fulfill what joel spoke about when he said on the last days i'll pour my spirit upon all flesh and so my point in bringing all of these things up is that we only can understand 
fully what was written in Deuteronomy 28 when we look at it through the lens of the gospel mm. and through the lens of Jesus good, Christ. And so um, so I think the even for those um, Hebrew Israelites who believe in who they, you know Yeshua, the, the Hebrew uh, name for Jesus, um, you know as the as the Messiah, um, there's still a deficient, uh, I would say, Christocentric hermeneutic that falls short of looking at everything in light of Him. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's still this segmentation that happens where it's like it's Yeshua and the Tanakh, mm-hmm. which is the law. It's Yeshua and the Torah, and those things come together as opposed to saying, okay, what did Yeshua say, and how did he? How did he talk about being the fulfillment of these things? Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say that's the first part. So the other part is, you know, again, eisegesis is, is coming into the text with a certain sense of meaning and using it to explain your circumstance. So already when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 20, 28, you see that there are inconsistencies um, within a Hebrew Israelite interpretation of the text. There are certain things that are interpreted as symbolic. You know, but then there are certain things that are interpreted as liberal, uh, literal, 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 and yeah. they're not consistent. So, for example, in the same passage, right, uh, in verse 68, and the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. Mm-hmm. So in the same passage, it goes, OK. And when it says the Lord will bring you back in ships, it's saying ships, look, literal ships, slave ships. That was real. But it says back in Egypt. Egypt, no, that's symbolic. That's America. That's not that's not real. Okay, but then it's like a journey that I promise, and you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies, male and female. And you go, okay, that didn't really happen on the slave box, but they sold them on the on the on the African side. Okay, okay, what? But there will be no buyer. Last time I checked, it was mad there buyers. were mad buyers. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of buyers. Uh, there's mention of a king. Who's the king? There's mm-hmm. mention of sieges and, 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 and walls that will be overtaken. We don't know of any um, situations like that that were taking place yeah. in, um, in, in, in this, you know, in Africa, that, they, that there was some siege that happened. And so there is a but but because of the fundamental commitment that there is just to explaining our experience and saying this is us. These verses, these 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 um, passages are shaped into a preconceived notion of what the interpretation is, and then of course, here's the biggest one, right? So we haven't even talked about the. All right, so in this, um, <laughs> my man Vocab Malone, uh, we could talk about him later. He says what Hebrew Israelites do is they Jim Crow the world. And they 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 make it black and white, right? So there's Edomites, and Edomites they would say are white people, and then there's the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel, the Israelites who are what we would say are black people, right? Of course, one of the problems here is that there were Africans who sold Africans, their mm. brothers, sisters, you know, of neighboring tribes yeah. into slavery. So they will look at the Africans who are in Africa as not Israelites and those who were sold as Israelites. But it was like, well, how did that happen? How did Esau perfectly bring over those who were really Israelites, but leave the ones that weren't? 
Yeah. You know what I mean? That that just doesn't seem to be consistent. Um, there's, you know, and so, and that leaves all types of problems in terms of the racialization of these things. Um, and, and so, but, I, you know, I'll stop there, let you guys ask some more questions. But um, I would say fundamentally a, a lack of a Christocentric response, which has all sorts of issues when it comes to salvation. How are we saved? Who is saved? They would say we're is pretty much by our nationality. Those who are not of Israel are not um, going to experience salvation, but God's or the Most High's judgment, um, and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, can I ask a follow up question to that? Um, it it seems to me as I hear trying to understand their beliefs, a lot has to do as you were talking before about them trying to find their identity as African American individuals, and of course, having this identity then as the descendants of Israelites. And as Christians, as we respond to that, can you speak a little bit to how, I guess, you know, Christians, what we would say our identity is, um, we are <clears throat> through, through faith in Christ, one in, you know, mm-hmm. um, we are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit through faith, and now we have these identities as sons and daughters of uh, of of, of Jesus of, of the Lord um, and and so it seems like there's a, this ethnocentric identity versus taking taking primacy over the the spiritual identity of uh, just you know what um, as as we come to faith in Christ that that core spiritual identity that we have and so I, can you speak to sort of like if I'm talking to an Israelite and they're wanting to sort of emphasize this, play on this identity as as them being race, and we know that race is important. Like nobody here is saying that, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a Christian that says, you know, when you come to Christ, your race doesn't matter anymore, and you're wanting Christ. Everybody's wanting Christ. You you get you. There's some people who take it to that point, and I actually think that that is harmful because. As a minority, you recognize that you, your identity as a black person doesn't just go away. You're living in America, and like, you know, while you would hear some evangelicals say, you know, race doesn't matter anymore and that sort of thing, like, we recognize that that's still a very important identity. But at the same time, we do agree that much more core to our identity is what we are in Christ. Um, so, could you speak to kind of like just the flaws of holding? you know, your race is your primary identity. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the fundamental mistake that, uh, we see humanity make right. in general, in the world. It's the, it's the Aryan white supremacist right. that says my genealogy, my, mm-hmm. my background is what makes me better than you. It's, it's the Nazis, mm. you know, that says our Aryan, you know, background is what makes us better than you. It's, yeah. um, it's the, you know, go to Rwanda, you know, it's the, you mm. know, the, tu- the, Hutsu, the Hutsis and Tutsus, you know, saying that same thing. It's you yeah. go to Bosnia, you know what I mean? You go, you go all over the world, whatever there's been, there's been ethnic cleansing, mm. there's been um, just, you know, attempts to assert ourselves based on our sense of um, our, our ethnic origin. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the scriptures, we see it, Israel make the, that tragic mistake as well. Um, and this is why, you know, it says in scripture that God says to them, don't say because you are Israel mm-hmm. that you are going to be saved because I could turn these stones mm-hmm. into Israelites. You know That's what good. I mean? That's good. Um, and, 
you know, in Galatians, uh, you know, I mean, the whole book of Galatians, but especially four and Romans four, where, you know, you know, Paul, you know, just explains and expounds upon the fact that his faith, you know what I mean? It was Abraham was, was, was justified and it was considered righteous by faith. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not because of works of the law. And he uses the fact that Abraham wasn't circumcised. He wasn't, he's like, you mm-hmm. know, he was the father of faith and that happened before you know what I mean? Circumcision. And so um, I think that that error, that that miss is um, a really tragic one. And it causes there to be a lot of um, I mean, there's a great deal among them of like uh, pride of of really um, debasing. And I mean, especially the one West camp, which most of what we're talking about is, uh, you know, derivative of one West, which started in the 60s and have a few different offshoots, IUIC, uh, GNS. Um, these are all different camps that are, you know, the the typical Hebrew Israelite that you think with the, you know, platforms mm-hmm. and, and mi- microphones and, you know, preaching on the street. Yeah. And so, um, so, so yeah, I think essentially from a human, human standpoint, we have a human condition, we have a human problem mm-hmm. and, it, and it's sin and, and we fall short of that, of God's glory and we're broken and we need to come to him in faith. I think that that is the that's what is revealed. Um, yeah. That's the big aha of the New Testament. That's the big aha in Acts, the big aha, the mystery that Paul talks about yeah. that was hidden in ages past, but is revealed in Ephesians chapter two. This is the thing. But this is also the thing, just to show you how powerful it is, which is why the, the early Christians kept being rejected, which was why Paul was stoned to death, because he dared to extend the grace of God to those beyond the borders of Israel. This That's was good. the problem. That's good. And so you see how, how tightly, you, you, tightly woven it is um, into the, um, the fabric of the people of God. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so... Yeah, it is. It is a, a grievous error. It is a problem, but it's something that we also we can't start with the problem. We have to see what the problem was trying to address, which is this great, yeah. great need of this sense of cultural identity, and it's just kind of taking that a step further. I will want to say too, this one other thing, I, just before I forget, mm-hmm. that I am not claiming that there are no such thing as. Uh, Jews that look like us, that are dark, that are you know, that are African, right. that are black. I am not saying that. Um, What their core statement is, is that all of the 12 uh, tribes are black um, or the 12 sons. And um, and that any of the ones that we see, any Israelite or Jew that we see that is not look, you know, is not of African descent is is a fraud. And uh, and I think that's very problematic when you look at the diaspora and you, we know that they were um, exiled to Babylon. We know that they were, you know, sent all, you know, all over the world. And so that just doesn't um, frame up with history. But I I did want to say that I'm not saying that there is no such thing because I've been to Israel. I was just in Israel a couple weeks ago and I saw, you know, Jews that were darker than me, you know, and I'm a pretty dark brother, you know what I mean? And I saw, you know what I mean? So I know that that exists, but that's not their point. Their point is that everybody else is, is a fraud. And so anytime we um we we establish our spiritual identity, our core identity based on our ethnicity and not on you know who God made us as as humans, I think we we get into problems. That's good. Thanks for that, Russell. Yeah, man. I think, you know, as our listeners just just listening to this information and, you know, if it's, you know, kind of hitting them for the first time, I think the knee jerk 
kind of reaction is just like, well, what do I do? Like, yeah. Rasul, thank you for the information. Like, man, but I can I can just feel our listeners just like, man, like, what do I do about this? Like, you know, do I just run up to them as they're speaking and just like say, ah, Deuteronomy 28 is wrong. You know, you got it. You got it jacked up. You know, how can we as Christians just properly respond um, to this false doctrine? Yeah, well, you know, I, it's interesting. You go back, you know, y'all, we started this conversation talking about Kendrick Lamar. And even if you go back uh, to Good Kid, Mad City, where, you know, he starts with Shireen and it's a Lord's Prayer, right? And mm-hmm. um, and you see that there's somebody that has at least, I said the Lord's Prayer, I mean the Prayer of Salvation is what it was, um, um, a framework of church and at that point. Um, but I read an article um, where, you know, he talked about, the dissatisfaction that he experienced at church, that there was only this aspect of God's goodness and his grace and his love that was communicated. And there was nothing about his mm. wrath. And um, and really, this is a core part of why he named the album Damn, because it's like mm. God will damn yeah. those who, yeah. you know, and judge those. Yeah, just even saying, uh, if you look at the track where he, before his cousin starts speaking, he has this part where it says, God damn you, you. God damn us, God damn us all. So he, he really wants to emphasize that, right. that damnation aspect. And then it goes into the Hebrew Israelites. Right. And so he sees himself in this article, <coughs> excuse me, he sees himself in this article as offering a corrective mm. to a imbalance in Christian theology. And I would say he has a point. Yeah, he does. Um, uh, There. And so I think the first response for me is like let's accurately divide the word of truth and not for the sake of you know popularity try to diminish the fact that you know god is loving but he he also has wrath Mm. you know and and wrestling with those hard texts that they will use hebrew israelites will use you know esau you know jacob have i loved esau as i hated to say this is why he loved black people and hate white people um but when we don't have any kind of response or context in order to uh, communicate um the uh predestination and God's kind of eternal plan and whatnot, then we uh, leave ourselves kind of struggling with how do we even respond to that? So I would say the first part is just to to, to get a real sense of what we believe and understand that. Secondly, um, is to uh, really speak to these core cultural needs, these core needs that we, you know, talked about, the, the needs of our, the, what does the gospel have to say about our cultural identity? What does the gospel have to say about our social needs? What does the gospel have to say about our, our worth and our significance and, and, and how we see ourselves as um, people, of, as African-Americans, as Afro-Caribbeans, as black people, as whatever we want to call us? Like, how do how does the gospel speak to that heritage? Mm. Because we have a rich heritage. I was, mm-hmm. I'm on a uh, Facebook uh, discussion group between Christians and uh, Hebrew Israelites. And I was asking this question and nobody responded because here's the interesting. Thing. I was like, well, what do you guys do with Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth? You know what I mean? Mark, Martin Luther King, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer, Megger uh, Evers. And the interesting thing is when you start to try to have the actual historical cultural conversation, there's not a whole lot of rap for that. Mm. Because and so we have to be careful to not just argue on theological grounds, but mm. also um, understand the, our own rich cultural heritage, wherever we come from and uh, and see that as valuable. So I, I would say that's one thing I would, you know, uh, hasten to add not to try to have the debate in the street 
Mm. The person that has the microphone. I was just about to go debate. Look, look, I mean, the reality is they use some of the most aggressive bully tactics. And the reality is the person that has the mic has control. And so, um, but there's a whole lot of bravado. You know, there's a a sister at our church that um, was um, previously involved in the Hebrew Israelites. And the thing that was interesting, she was talking to me, was just how much people question but couldn't question so she was in it in 2000 the year 2000 they their leader um had said that the end of the world was going to happen and so they were all preaching year 2000 end of the world and when it didn't happen they took a huge hit and like people were disillusioned and like their numbers drove down by the way we're only talking about fifty thousand people max wow you know and that's a that's a generous number um, but it is growing, so I don't want to diminish yeah. the threat, but just to put it in perspective. But um, but in the midst of that, there is space for people to ask these questions and to see. Like I just talked to you know one of the guys, uh, Jada producer. He was a very well known uh, Hebrew Israelite producer. He just came out of it and rejected the teaching, um, you know, of them. And and there are others who've been questioning and 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 said, you know what, this doesn't sound right. But you have to pretty much have those kind. They 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 don't they're not allowed because they will go after you. Like when you, they'll call you all sorts. They call Jay, you know, you got demon in him and he's weak. And um, there's this very, this, and again, it's a search for masculine identity that gets revealed in this, mm. in this attacking aggressive way. And so one way to kind of avoid that is to um, really look to try to have, ask questions and, um, and not supposed to answers and definitely not try to, you know, launch that kind of a debate in public. Mm. Mm. That's real. Hey Russell, I have a question. Mm. So you know, I, grew, I you know, growing up in New York, um, um, and I imagine most urban centers, like you know, the Hebrew Israelites are not kind of new to us, right? Like we've mm-hmm. experienced them for a long time. They're just around. They're really relevant. And so you know, you know, even in my past, just in my um, sort of apologetic, you know, searches, I have books on Mormonism. I have books on Jehovah's Witnesses. Why do you think there isn't more information about the Hebrew Israelites in yeah. a scholarly way? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I think it also speaks to something that I don't want to miss. And that is that um, there is truth to a lot of the critique that they have about the whitewashing mm-hmm. of Christianity yep. over time. Um, and, and that's where, you know... That's why we always have to start with what is the need that, that what is the itch that it's scratching, mm-hmm. um, and so the sad truth and reality is that you know when we look at the images of Jesus who was not you know blue eyes with blonde hair I mean the brother hid out in Egypt you know <laughs> for a while that's a bad plan to hide in Egypt if you got blue eyes and blonde hair um, and so he didn't look like that. Um, like the in the pictures that you see um, in so many churches, um, the, the the gospel did get to uh, Africa before um, it got to Europe. In fact, um, a African scholar named John Mbiti said that the gospel and Christianity has been in Africa so long it could rightly be called an indigenous African religion, yeah. older than the Talk current, it, older than the current form of Europe, mm. older. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, and so I think, there, but that history has been lost. Our Saint Augustine, um, who wrote *City of God*, and uh, who really is considered to be um, one of the essential uh, 
foundations of uh, Western Christianity and, and the thinking of, you know, philosophy and blending that with theology. He was from Africa, a town called Hippo in Carthage. Uh, you have Tertullian, who uh, was the first to use the concept, speak of the concept of the Trinity in that term. Uh, he's also a Northern African. Athanasius, you know, break that down, Brian. I know you know a little yeah, bit about they, him. They, they called him the Black Dwarf, yep. <laughs> and um, because he was short and very dark skinned. The people who were, were used to argue against him used to use that as an insult, and so he's the one that was in the debate between Homoousius and Homoousius, yeah. and so they used a lot of his doctrine um, at the Council of Nicaea when they were, yeah. you know, formulating, you know, the the, the doctrine of Jesus being fully God. Sure. Um, against Aryan teaching. Yeah, so so the reality is these truths have been um, underrepresented mm. um, because of a Eurocentric approach to history and theology. And so I think that that is important to speak to that and to address that that has been an issue, which also explains why um, there are certain responses to or, or certain uh beliefs out there, teachings out there that are not responded to by uh, current um, apologists, right? Because it's just not on their radar because we're not, they don't see our mm. world. And I, and I think that that is a problem and that this is something that is spoken to um, by groups like the Nation of Islam, by groups like the Five Percenters, by groups like the Hebrew Israelites. And so there is something there that they're speaking to. There's a nerve that they're hitting. Um, it's just that in their response, um, they're responding out of something that's not based in the gospel. And I think that is where it gets lost. But um, mm -hmm. but yeah, uh, th th there, there's more work that needs to be done. Now, there are some authors who are doing yeah. that. There's a lot of great work um, that is doing that. I don't know if this is, you know, if you got another question before I kind of get into some of those authors. But yeah, man, so Rasul, man, um, as a pastor, and I just know that there are a lot of leaders who are tuning in. You know, one of the quotes I heard from one of my boys, he he was involved in um, with the Hebrew Israelites. And one of the things he said was just like how many of them were coming out of black churches. And he was just like, man, he couldn't even think of somebody who was involved in the Hebrew Israelites that wasn't first in, you know, one of these black churches. And so, man, what does that mean for us in terms of just how we lead and just other leaders who are looking to lead um, minority congregations? You know, how can we, uh, how do we respond to a statistic like that? Yeah, I actually think that this is the most dangerous um, teaching, and I would even say cult, that has uh, come so far. I'd say more dangerous in the nation of Islam than the 5% nation. Um, even though they've had significant imprint. And the reason why I say this is more dangerous is because it, those other groups had other books that they pointed to as the source of their teaching and um, and and versus the Hebrew Israelites, their prime while they do lean on, you know, from, um, you know, uh, Babylon and Timbuktu or um, uh, the Apocrypha, like Edris or other, you know, um, Apocryphal books, they will uh, lean on those. But the core piece is the Bible, hmm. Old wow. and New Testament. And so now you're having a different conversation. You're, you're mm -hmm. having a 
interpretive theological conversation about the book than you are about some other book that has replaced that book as the most important mm, thing. Yeah. And so that's why I think it is different um, and it is um, more uh, dangerous um, and, and it's spreading uh, like wildfire, especially because of YouTube um, and, and whatnot. And so, uh, so yeah, I think in terms of what do we do about that in light of the fact that people are targeting the church, um, well, first we have to remember there's nothing new under the sun, mm. um, that Jehovah witnesses do the same thing. Yeah. Mormons do the same thing. Um, people are always, um, approaching those who have some sense of, a, a already a deference for the word of God. Um, and, and then they, and they tweak it, you know, with rat poison, 99% food, it's only 1% poison. That's mm, crazy. That's good. It's wow, only 1% crazy. poison. Wow. And um, so all you need is just a little bit of untruth and that untruth becomes mm. the thing that that kills you. So it's like, yeah, we can we we'll, we can agree on, you know, the scriptures, but we'll just have an interpretive approach that totally undermines uh, the very nature of it. And um, then that's the one percent. And so I think for us, we have to know our Bible. They hear this. Hebrew Israelites think Christians don't know their Bible, that they're stupid, that um, that they're, they're theologically <laughs> inaccurate. And yeah, and oftentimes, too often, um, they approach people who don't know the basic yeah. ideas of scripture mm-hmm. and don't know their word. Meanwhile, they are all up in that book and yeah. they will continue to quote and continue to quote and continue to quote. And they have such confidence yes. that I, I imagine that if I wasn't so well-versed, just listening to them preach so strongly and so passionately as I walk down the street sometimes, it, I would be like, how could I say these guys are wrong? They seem right. so sincere. Now, you, we all know you can be sincerely wrong. Mm-hmm. But if I don't know my stuff and I'm not fully grounded in it and I'm watching these guys passionately you know, read, quote scripture, and this and that, I, can, I, I could understand being shaken yeah. in my faith right. because of that. Yeah, so I, I don't. I, there is hope. I don't want to paint a very bleak picture. Um, and the hope comes out of the fact that now that this has become more of a known mm. um, reality and a teaching, that there are great people that are responding. Um, there's actually a conference that just happened in Tallahassee a couple weeks ago. Uh, you can find they put the sessions on YouTube. The One Truth Conference. You go on YouTube. The One Truth Conference. Uh, that they have a channel or they have videos on there. One of the guys that presents, uh, his name is Vocab Malone. Um, he's a you know hip hop artist fan, and he has a website called streetapologist.com. That's S T R E E T A P O L O G I S T dot com. He has uh, videos of him dialoguing with uh, Hebrew Israelites as well as um, sharing different resources and insights. Shout out to Vocab. He's been uh, really instrumental in my understanding. Um, There's uh, books, um, Free at Last by Carl Ellis, talks about the gospel and the African-American experience. It is one of uh, my favorite books on the topic. Uh, There's uh, Urban Apologetics by Christopher Brooks. there's another book uh, that was written a long time ago called Defending Black Faith, mm. Answers to Tough Questions About African-American Christianity. And I love this uh, book because of the way that the chapters are organized. It's organized as questions. First question, a black religion. What do you say when someone claims that Christianity is a white religion? 
Uh, what do you say when a Muslim says Christians were pro-slavery? What do you say when others complain that Christians did not did not oppose the slave trade? So these are all mm-hmm. the um, chapters. Um, and so these are some great books that just yeah. will help give uh, insight and perspective. There's, then I got to shout out my man, Brady Goodwin. Uh, he wrote a book called The Death of Hip Hop Marriage and Morals that gives a great his, historical perspective on history and the role of hip hop and that what that played in it. And so these are all some great resources that are um, are good to use. I would just ask a lot of questions. If someone that you love or know um, is, is is into Hebrew, you know, um, teaching or is following that path, um, I would just ask a lot of questions um, and and start there and uh, and you know and just kind of share some of these resources. So yeah. Appreciate that, man. Rasul, just thank you so much for coming mm, on the podcast, man, and well, just good. dropping. I was blessed. Dropping the nuggets, man. Gold nuggets. Mm. Not so McDonald's blessed. Nuggets. I think our first ever guest was a total hit. Total hit. You know, I think I think we can quit and just let him do it. Yo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the new guy from City Image. Rasul's the best. I love, what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you guys do, man. So keep it moving with City Image, yo. Thank you. Appreciate, it. appreciate the support, man. So listeners, just want to let y'all know that... Um, we are going to try to be a lot better about getting content out. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of you guys have been waiting on an episode. Uh, we're going to really try to make sure that we're getting content to coming to you guys a lot more regularly. And we're also going to try to make sure we got some really dope guests like Rasul in our upcoming episode. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening. Peace. City Image is the best.